Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George, I'm here with my co-host Nomi, and we've got um, an announcement to make. Our, our guests for today's um, taping has agreed to be our co-host on future episodes, so, so I'd like to introduce you to John. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, okay, now for this episode, we're going to call this um, causal reality discussion number one. We'll be having we'll be having these like extemporaneous talks where we're not like talking about any specific topic, mm -hmm. but just bringing it all together. And so, so let's do that now. Okay. So now, John, um, when when we um, when we present the um, the assertion that um, that reality is causal and hence human will must be causal to your mind what what comes as um, as what might be one of the stronger kind of like viewpoints that wouldn't that, that, that would differ from that that you know that would that are that would argue for free will uh, that would argue for free will right right um, I'm a little confused by that question because um, I'm not much of a historian, as I believe you are, a historian of philosophy. I'm sort of just drawing out of my own personal experience. So I'm very okay. much attached to first-person experience. Not that I don't, f I'm not fascinated by sociology and biology, and I read it and I study it, but I'm very aware that um, I don't have access to the cells in my body, right? Uh, I know I'm made of cells or the subatomic level of that. But I am able to read and think and feel and smell, taste, touch, and all of that. So I think those first-person experiences, just like I made that quote from uh, you know the, the elephant sliding down the hill, mm -hmm. the physicist looks at the numbers of the, the weight of the elephant, the speed and the, the incline, and all those numbers do not capture the poetry of the elephant sliding down the hill. So um, I think um, information is not meaning. Um, to have meaning, you have to have a meaning maker. So I think we are all uh, making up maps as we go along. Um, but for me, it's I believe, and you could fill this out as uh, people start to evolve, and I do believe they do evolve in the direction of greater and greater complexity, that uh, the, the, the conflicts and impasses and dilemmas and paradoxes that uh, we're all, that all flesh is heir to, we have to... Uh, start to, we, we come up with different theories about those. Mm -hmm. And I just find it, uh, there is, seems to be, I think, as people evolve, a, a, an acceptance of that paradox where they, they feel like they, uh, they have no choice but to do what they did, even if it may have been a great risk to themselves. And I was just thinking of this man, this is a few years back, a true story, in the subway on 42nd Street, um, there was a man who had an epileptic seizure. And uh, everyone thought he was feeling fine, he was better, but as he walked towards uh, the train track, he, had, he slipped and fell onto the train track. And another man, and the train was coming into the station, another man jumped on top of him, mm. covered up his body and arranged it in a way that the train went over them, and both of them, neither one of them were hurt. Now what, afterwards, when they interviewed this man about how, why did you do that, or what were you thinking of, he says, what all people, and what a hero you are, he says, what all 
people do who do those kinds of things. He says, oh, I wasn't thinking at all. I had no choice at all. Anyone would have done what I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, isn't it? <laughs> but I just find that, um, mm -hmm. so he's like an ordinary, an ordinary, extraordinary person, just as we all are. And history's full of people who, you know, did what they had to do because it was choiceless for them. It was mm -hmm. a, a choiceless choice. And, you know, so they, sometimes you have to pay a high price, just sometimes there's a, a great risk. But I think that, um, I hope I'm answering your question to some extent. Well, I'm not sure, because basically you're describing how the person did what he had to do, again, because he had to do it. And, you know, I would, I would, um, I would describe it as a moral impo um, imperative. He, he, he saw it as right, and he couldn't, in his mind, um, conceive of not doing it. In other words, like, if there was greater risk, if there was substantially greater risk that he would not have been able to succeed, that might have changed his... But I don't think there was any deliberation. He said there was no uh, deliberation at all. There was just an action. And he believed that anyone in that circumstance would have done the same. Um, and I just... So I'm wondering how free was his will. There was definitely will there, but whether it was free or not, I think is a compelling question, because I think as people... Uh, you know, evolve. Uh, they're they're much more. You know, they can be very selfless in their actions, and uh, it doesn't fit the, the sort of competitive norm that we were brought up with in this very capitalist, me-first, narcissistic society, where you see people surrendering that in certain, probably emergencies or certain kind of circumstances. Um, but I was wondering if you could uh, fill us in a little bit about. I mean, um, the, the way I would understand that amazing behavior is that that man was highly evolved human being. Uh, Susan Kogreuter would say that he was among the people who are at unitive level of conscious development. And she also has other levels. Uh, we start as impulsive, self-defensive, conformist, self-conscious, uh, conscientious, individualist, autonomous, construct-aware, and then the final is unitive, where you feel oneness with all. So for that person, somebody else in that kind of situation, uh, he just felt that he was in that situation, and he was feeling that amazing connection that human beings can feel. Well, you're, you're raising something, I think, an uh, interesting point, that there are these different levels, but not everyone lives at that highest level all the time. Mm -hmm. So he may, everyone may have a moment of unitive consciousness. Right, um, right. That may not be where they're at all the time. Right, and then w in, in our future episodes, we will perhaps bring in Wilbur Combs' lattice, where they talk about different levels of development and different states of consciousness, and anybody at any level of consciousness uh, development can have a very complex state of consciousness. Uh, for instance, somebody who is at an egocentric level of development can have a very non-dual experience, uh, but that would be momentary. Uh, but with practice and by bringing in all the relevant causes, we can perhaps stabilize that level of development and make it a permanent state. So, so traits can become, uh, states of consciousness can become stages of development. And I think human beings are, all of us are capable of that. But unfortunately, that level is achieved by very few. Uh, throughout history, you can always count them on fingers. <coughs> okay. Um, Basically, we have, we have a person who does something, and 
You say that it was done uh, without reflection, okay? That, that's what he claimed. Right, right, it was right, like right. a few seconds right, right. where this event occurred. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then the question becomes, all right, let's say it was without conscious reflection. What's interesting, um, you guys are probably familiar with the research. There's more and more research in neuroscience um, that demonstrates that it could be that all our decisions, every one that we make is really made at the level of the unconscious. You're talking about Libet's... Uh, Libet's, sure, and, and um, John Bard's, a, a lot of priming st um, studies. And this uh, is very controversial, the conclusions well, that they... Well, it's, it's controversial in the same sense that, um, that evolution is controversial. In other words, there, there's some within us that are within the creationist model that, my God, uh, believing in evolution to them is consigning them to a potential um, eternity in, in hellfire. I mean, you know, if, if you believe that you're going to hell, if you, if you have a certain belief, you know, chances are you won't, wouldn't um, believe that. So, but with, with these experiments, the um, Lebet's experiment, for example, that, that demonstrates that, um, you know, empirically, empirically with, with imaging um, apparatus and all, that, that the unconscious is clearly making, um, is clearly active you know, it's clearly making the choice. You know, um, some some there are some that claim that there is like um, a period of time in which the consciousness can, could you know, enter into the equation and make the decision. But that's a claim. That's a claim without any empir empirical um, validation. Whereas whereas all the empirical work that has been done, um, you know, suggests that at least in motor um, action you know, with intent, that the intent is actually, the moment of intent is, is um, decided by the, by the unconscious. Right. And that, that's the, the sensory motor apparatus at that level, because uh, uh, not all c choices that people make are those kinds of snap exactly. decisions right. like the man made on that, that platform. There may be other uh, decisions that he makes yeah. about so who I to vote wanna, for or what kind of I house did. to buy or what kind of clothes to wear, no. which are different kinds of right. choices. No, no, I know, but, but the reason I mentioned that um, John Barge is, for example, there are choices, like, there's an experiment, um, two groups, um, they are assigned the task of, of making sentences out of words. Uh, that's what mm -hmm. they're told. Mm -hmm. That's what they're told. And some, some of them have, um, in their choice of words, in their list of words, bingo, elderly, aged, um, old, whatever, you know, those kinds of words. The other group, let's say, didn't, you know, had, uh, let's, let's say, youthful or whatever. Um, and so, like, after the experiment, which is actually part of the experiment in this case, they are observed walking to, to the elevator, you know, um, you know, on their way home, whatever. And, you know, Amazingly, the people who had been primed with the words of um, elderly, bingo, and all that associated with being old, they walked to the elevator more slowly than the other group. So this, this idea that the unconscious, and, and it's done naturally at an unconscious level because when they're asked, well, why did they walk to um, the elevator more closely? Actually, there's a different experiment where they asked for a reason, but when they're asked for the reasons why they do things, they construct, you know, they guess, but, but they don't get it right that actually they were primed by the psychologist um, to, to choose as they did. So, so you're, you're right, John, that, um, that Lebet's experiment has to do with um, the neural, the mo motor mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm.
but there is there's 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 a mountain of evidence. I mean, going back to Freud with uh, with hypnosis, mm -hmm. that that um that um we have this unconscious that um that takes part in every decision we make. It seems because because uh, otherwise, I mean, if the unconscious doesn't sleep. Well, I think that's very uh, crucial. The interplay between um, the unconscious and what we're calling the conscious, uh, maybe on a spectrum, mm -hmm. it's not either or but a little bit of both and maybe neither on some occasions. Uh, performances that are spectacularly effective, uh, like at the piano or sports or whatever, usually were worked on for a long, long time right. before it became so spectacular. Right. So uh, there had to be motivation, there had to be an, uh, you know, a way of practicing, getting mentoring or whatever before anyone becomes great at something. But you know, you had to play scales for a very long time sure. before it gets into that sensory motor, um, that basic uh, system. Right, before again, the higher fa functions of higher, right. you know, creativity can emerge. Right, but John, are you, are you introducing that to present the case in which um, the person would have a free will? I'm just, I, I'm sort of uh, making an analogy, I guess, between the conscious and the unconscious aspects of our uh, experience and how. Um, there are external forces that may be, you know, seeding ideas, um, and storytellers, and, and magicians, and hypnotists, and politicians, and our parents, and our teachers have been doing this all along. Right, again. And we get mixed results. Some things are very beneficial, some things may end up being very destructive, depending on what level of development those people are. Uh, that's part of our. our our social brains, you know. Right, but John, we don't live in isolation from right, anyone. We else. we have the, the unconscious, we have the consciousness, we also have like collective consciousness, you know, our our society moldiness. But again, for 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 the consideration to be relevant, um, we would have to have some kind of understanding as to how that distinction of whether the behavior was unconscious, conscious, or combination, whatever, would affect its causality. In other words, like for example. Um, Let's say, let's say, um, let's say a decision is completely conscious, completely. Let's say, I mean, and, and I don't believe that's possible according to the, to the research, but let's say it was. Okay, if it was completely conscious, then um, we know the causality is still the basic process of change in the universe. So that conscious decision would have had, have been based on a previous, on, on something, on, on, on a previous event, a previous memory, a previous um, learning. That's conscious on a causal chain, causal chain that leads back to, to you know before the person was born. We can apply the exact same reasoning to the unconscious. We can apply the exact same reasoning to the collective consciousness. So regardless of how we define our consciousness or not, um, it's all it's all encompassed by causality. Nothing escapes it. So, so we can we can we can we can kind of like um, you know explore the, the various kinds we um, ways we make decisions, but again we have to reach the conclusion that the decisions are ultimately um, causally willed and, and not freely willed. Well, yeah, I'm just su suggesting that uh, there are causes and effects, but there also the, but the effects also then can become causes, and we have then uh, loops mm -hmm. and multiple causes. Right. Um, and where you, uh, I think reductionism, the evil of reductionism is that when you reduce all this complexity to a single kind of cause, like the firing of neurons in your brain, 
I think it's much more complex than that. Or a single kind of process, perhaps. George is saying that you know causality is involved at all levels of reality. Uh, right, different kinds of causes. Right. And, and John, when, when you see that, like, again, we were considering causes in, in the immediate sense as epiphenomenon, in that, you know, it seems to us that what's happening around us is, is what's causing things to happen. But then um, if we take the entirety of the universe as, a, as our subjects for consideration and, and consider that, you know, the state of that universe from one moment to the next must be completely causal, that the state of the universe at this moment is completely causing the state of the universe at the next moment, then we reach the conclusion, well, if that's the case, then um, whatever might happen or not, however we might understand it or not, within that universe must also be causal. Because how could, how could otherwise um, a part of the universe, you know, of a universe that's completely causal, um, somehow disentangle itself or separate itself from that causal unit to, to behave um, and, and then the question would come, if it's not causal, how would it be behaving? Um, the only other option, logically or scientifically, is um, random, randomly. And then when we ask ourselves, well, what is randomness? Um, and um, depending on what kind of um, definition we give, we realize that um, what we define as random must also be caused. because how, if, if something that happened randomly was uncaused, how could something not be caused? So, so John, the basic point is that, that understanding this from within the perspective of the, the universe in its entirety, that kind of like allows us to um, subsume everything within the universe to the universe. But which universe? I mean, there's, a, there's the inner universe, and then there's the outer universe. I mean, I was, uh, you look at the subatomic, mm -hmm. the, uh, the activity of subatomic particles. When I was uh, studying physics when I was a little kid, we had those like orbital sort of, those little blocks moving around. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like that anymore. It looks like a mist or a blur. Right. And they don't even know where they can locate the particle. It's a probability, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have other maps. You have a biological map where you're looking at a cell which is emerging out of this prebiotic soup, and then the cell uh, wall, a membrane emerges with their holes in it, and there are molecules that can, certain size molecules that can come in. Some can't come in. Some of those molecules go out. So you have an interior and an exterior, or an external or an internal, however you want to phrase it. But I think this is uh, very significant as we become psychological beings, where we experience a subjective inside my thoughts, feelings, fantasies, um, sensations, which are not yours. And yet we can communicate about them verbally and non-verbally in many different ways. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it gets, um, I think, you know, everything causes everything else. Right. Uh, and I, I think I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, but it's uh, not uh, from outside of the, the universe, it seems to me like you're describing something uh, like the view from nowhere, as Thomas Nagel would call it. Um, and that's the, uh, this objectivist stance um, comes from nowhere. 
and I think uh, we have to have a, a perspective coming from that's embodied for um, this stuff to make sense because it can come become really crazy very quickly if we don't ground it in our embodiment and we have a, a perspective which evolves and changes and can include others and um, how can we ground it? Well, we all were talking about uh, meditation, and there are different schools of meditation and different kinds of practices. There's body work, and there's uh, art, the arts, and certainly science. I mean, there are highly creative and very imaginative people like Einstein, mm -hmm. a very imaginative man, who thought, you know, theories should be beautiful and elegant. Mm -hmm. So he thought, you know, he brought his aesthetic sensibility. Mm -hmm. uh, he created these experiments, these thought experiments these visualizations basically and then the math came and the experiments came that corroborated all of that so uh, he's an excellent example of someone in the in, in the you know, hard sciences that was uh, using his imaginative capacity mm -hmm. so so as we are moving from atoms to molecules to cells to organs uh, we are also moving up the scale in complexity and, and at, at each level we see new properties emerging right like and the interiors right and um, the interior universe, I, I, and more involved people, is as vast as the external universe. Okay, but uh, I right. think they mirror one another in complexity. Mm -hmm. Again, we can talk about like the level of complexity going from the most basic to the most complex, mm -hmm. but the key continues. The, the the key point continues to be that every level is causal. You know, and uh, John, you you raised um, the question of, of what universe um, we were referring to when I when I brought in the, the idea of the state of the universe. You know, uh, compelling the, the future states. Um, by my understanding, when, when we use the the word the word universe technically, um, most literally, um, uni uh, me meaning one, that there is only one reality. You know, there may be dimensions of that reality that we're not in touch with at all. That's possible that those dimensions would ne nevertheless have to be part of that one reality. That's actually the, um, the foundation of Judaism, you know, um, God being one, whatever. Um, maybe, maybe it plays out in other religions also. But again, the, the crucial point, John, though, is that um, regardless of whether we're discussing the universe literally in its entirety or other quote-unquote universes, um, would they not all have to be causal? Would, 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 the, would the consideration be inconsequential because any other kind of quote-unquote universe must also be causal? Like when you said that you know there are different ways to embody uh, the level of consciousness that you were mentioning. So you mentioned meditation, you mentioned art, you mentioned science. So you are mentioning uh, causal conditions which will uh, make that emergence more probable. Okay. Would you agree with that? That sounds good to me. <laughs> you know. um, like what what George's point is that you know at at, at every level causality is operative. Even if we want to have higher states of consciousness, we do do need to meditate. We do need to learn. We do need to move beyond the egocentric or the ethnocentric uh, levels of uh, thinking and consciousness. So causality rules. All right. Well, I mean, I'm, like I'm working on it. Right, <laughs> and, and, and it's good, John, because like um, 
that um, again um, that you have um, any manner of doubt. And, and, and personally, I mean, like, I understand this. I think relatively completely intellectually, you know, cause and effect. All you have to do to understand the nature of human will is to understand cause and effect. That everything else is is you know is a commentary. But I think we are. Where does this fit in? That we are participant observers. We are observing, mm -hmm. and through our observing, we are also participating, because we change what we observe through our observing. This is, uh, isn't this Heisenberg or some one of these physicists? Oh, oh you know that, uh, right. But, but that's that's all right. Um, so you can't separate uh, the observer, the observation, the observing. Um, you know, you can't separate the dancer from the dance. Okay, but with with Heisenberg and, and the I think there's a tendency. Uh, the objective stance tends to do that. Sort of kills the butterfly to, to then describe how it worked. But, but, but it's dead. No, 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 John, it's not alive it's not, anymore. It's not like all right. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle um, basically states that you can't measure simultaneously the position and momentum of a particle. That's true. But physics understands, even quantum physics, that that particle behavior is absolutely causal. You know? but, uh, well, well, the one thing I wanted to sort of clarify is that's beyond our human scale. We have instruments that can detect that, uh, the very large and the very small, in the, the external cosmos. There are different kinds of practices that allow you to contact the interior cosmos. So when you say there's only one universe, I'm using the word cosmos, uh, Wilbur would spell it with a K, cosmos mm -hmm. with a K, you're talking about um, both of those that are unified. And then I can say, yes, there's one universe, one cosmos, co um, cosmos, if you're including the interiors and the exteriors and not privileging one over the other and splitting uh, our world into a subject-object dichotomy, mm -hmm. which I think we all are uh, you know, suffering from. Well, John, yeah, no, um, when, I, when I say universe, it, it encompasses everything. Okay, okay. Yeah, Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, because a lot of this, uh, you know, is beyond our human scale. It's part of our genius as a species, though, that we can, we can create telescopes, we can create um, microscopes and look at uh, the behavior or the activity of, of things that are beyond our human scale. But we can somehow translate it mm -hmm. into maps that uh, we can understand. But it's harder and harder to do that because a lot of this stuff at very smaller and very large are, we can't visualize it. We right. can't Im imagine it even. And I think we have mathematical models. Right. Um, but in, in future, uh, but I that's think a dilemma to, to communicate from those. Uh, okay. yeah, and we, we are going to mention creativity because in future episodes we are going to explore uh, how can we become more creative? What are the processes and causes involved in that, in that emergence? Okay, um, that's all we have time for today. <laughs> Thanks, and we'll be back uh, exploring the illusion of free will. Thank, Thank you. you very Thank much. you. Thank you.